0: Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you the drivers who switched to progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. (laughs) Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. (laughs) Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com.
1: Dr. D's social network. I hope that today you're having a good day. And if you're not, I hope that you're listening and that this episode will make you feel a little bit better. My goal with the podcast is to be a light, to be a beacon of hope in a world that sometimes feels so upside down. But I'm here to tell you there's a lot of good out there. You just have to choose to see it. Search for it. It's around the corner. And most probably, it's in front of you. Open your eyes and see it. when you meet someone, you're often meeting just one side, one version, one dimension of that person. We are complex beings, but we're also simple in many ways. Often when we meet someone, we're finding out the initial discoveries about them. But as we dive deeper, we find incredible wonders. My guest today on the show was Dr. Jim Dankovich, and we discover and go through a lot about his health and wellness career, specifically as a chiropractor. And then we dive deeper under the water, under the vast ocean of his passion of working with the University of Michigan's art program and understanding a little bit more about prison reform and how your mind can be changed when something is put in front of your face. Dr. Jim Dankovich. All right, Jim, thank you for being on with me today. I really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure, thank you.
1: How's your day been?
0: My day's been pretty good. Um, I started my day with a stress test. I do a regular checkup with my physician and I passed it, so what more is there today, right?
1: Wow, what is that what's the uh, stress test? like what's involved?
0: Um, it's just you know hooked up to electrodes and checking. oh okay. Best under load. And you know, I didn't expect not to pass it. Um, I would have been pretty shocked if I hadn't, but it's always yeah. good to hear it's always here good to hear confirmation of good health.
1: That is always good. I was thinking it was something else, but I'm familiar with what you're talking about. I was like, man, maybe Jim has a different stress test he's doing, you know like. <laughs>
0: Yeah, same one, same one. I, same I get one. a checkup every year now and, and uh, I'm 70 years old. So, um, it's part of one of the nice things in the States, even though our health insurance is variable, once one reaches Medicare age, there's an annual checkup that comes and it's, it's free of charge. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a neat thing. Um, you know, our health insurance, as you know, is, is kind of variable. But once yes. you get um, to be 65, um, there's still a charge for it. But it's, um, it's rolled into the Social Security and uh, uh, Medicare. Um, so, you know, I get a slightly smaller Social Security check because they take mm-hmm. out health care.
1: Gotcha. I like the word uh, variable was a very nice way of talking about health insurance. <laughs>
0: it's, it's actually kind of a disaster here in the state. <laughs> it is. Um, I think that's a better word than variable, but, but it's, it's not as politically correct. I, I, um, I find it amazing that a country with this kind of wealth doesn't have health care for all its citizens. I mean, that's just, it's, to me, it's, it's unfathomable. Um, to me, that's a a right, uh, and, and, you know, I don't think the, the reality is even if one looks at it on a fiscal basis, it ends up costing the same amount of money or maybe more to not insure people and have them go to the emergency room at the hospital where by law they have to be treated. So, you know, that instead of preventative, you get very expensive medicine and very poor quality.
1: Yeah, I actually am totally <laughs> agreement with that. I think it should be an a right of being a citizen to be able to be taken care of on healthcare. It's uh it's just such a mess. I mean, it's a huge mess, I think. That's why when you said what's well, variable, I was like, Jim's really nice guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, he's real nice about this. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it's it's nice, but it's also—I mean—the other part of me says is that there's something very wrong. I mean, with 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 a with any country, and and you know, this being my country, I feel particularly uh, uh, bad about the fact that we we don't work with people on preventative measures. You know, there's a lot of stuff we can do here, and you know, in the states, as you know, um, we've got a lot of political. Uh, strife right now. And Mm -hmm. the thing that still um, surprises me is that there isn't a little more um, uh, push to get universal health care from both parties. I I just, you know, I think in the old days, I think with somebody like a president like Eisenhower, I think it could have gone in that direction. And he Mm -hmm. was a Republican. Um, You know, the party you know, I tend to be fiscally conservative, so I tend to look at um, what are the benefits versus the, the, the costs. And with healthcare, it's a clear benefit. It's a clear win to me. And, uh, and, and of course, as you know the, the, you know, the erroneous rumor is that, you know, Canadian healthcare is somehow inferior and you can't get in to see your physicians which every Canadian I've actually talked to, including my neighbor at the cottage, claims that that is not a problem. I mean, he's yeah. never it. and uh, And we have a problem. Here, to get in to see my physician, I can't get in within a week. So. No, no. I mean, so how is that different? You know?
1: but, yeah, no, I, I live right on the border of Canada, up here in Washington, and I've had the same feedback as you. It's It's not what they say it is the way that like, Oh, all oh, this whole thing. I, I've heard very positive things um, related to that. It's just healthcare is one of those things. It's a really huge issue that has been really strangely messy, which mm-hmm. I feel like it should be. I don't know. I just feel like it shouldn't be messy, but it is.
0: No, I mean, there are certain things. I mean, it, it boils down to, you know, mice class that they don't teach as much in school anymore or at all and and that's civics the civics class that mm. we had back in high school which you know i mean the boy the whole thing boils down to what is the function of government you know and what yes. is the government how how far into people's lives do you go and certainly i think most people would agree on defense being an important thing mm-hmm. but there are other things like you know healthcare care and and medicare and some sort of a safety net for people um, who are unable to, for whatever reason, to, to be employed or to have healthcare in other ways. I mean, there, that's the, the cost of being in a society. It's just the real cost. And, um, you know, we, we don't live as hermits, <laughs> we, we have other <laughs> no. human beings here, and we have to deal with those people um in some way that i you know to me the way i'd like to be dealt with um i've been in you know it it points in my life where i was very poor and didn't have health care and fortunately had no health issues but um you know i was fortunate and some people aren't and and how do we deal with that but anyway I don't want to go yeah. too far on healthcare, but that's... Oh, it's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, these random thoughts and ideas that I think are interesting to any conversation. But I wanted to uh, dive into um, kind of your life and your, um, your background. You know, as Dr. Jim Dankovich, I was, okay, tell me about the doctor. I want to know about yeah. that, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, I, um, I was very fortunate that... Um, I, I didn't. I always wanted to move into some sort of health care, some kind of care of people. And I initially was a teacher, um, taught school, um, didn't really find the classroom to be my ideal vehicle to, to work with people. I'm better on a one-on-one basis. So I kind of was lost for a while and um, was lucky enough to be in a uh, retail setting. And um, was lucky, was fortunate enough to, to um, be at, at the old bookstore for Harvard University, Harvard mm. MIT, Harvard Law, Harvard Medical, was called the Harvard Coop. And it's still there. But um, that, at that time, it was a very large store. We had about almost 500 employees. And um, they took some of us, and I was very young at the time, in my early 20s, and uh, put us through a battery of tests at Harvard to see if we were material for retailing. They needed some, some, uh, leadership at the store. The, The leadership was retiring and the good news and the bad news is the same, which is when I took the interest and aptitude tests, I came out very poorly in retailing and extremely high on the healthcare scale. So I actually was young enough to be able to easily shift direction and, uh, Went back to school, got my undergraduate uh, required courses, and went to chiropractic school. Um, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of preventative um, medicine, preventative exercise, diet, um, and moving into the things that we have some control over. And I'm I'm glad somebody does healthcare. I mean, on a, on the uh, invasive type uh, surgical basis, I. Personally, worked in a surgical unit for a year as an aide and found it to be um, way too stressful. And mm. uh, I, I'm glad somebody does it. Uh, it's not my personality. I, I don't like blood. I don't like people suffering. Right. Right. And uh, moving into preventative stuff like chiropractic um, for me was an ideal fit. I had a really good practice um, in in Michigan. I had a business partner and. Uh, we practiced together for very close to 30 years. Um, wow. And uh, we saw a lot of people. Um, we had over 30,000 patients. Now I think the number is probably about 50,000 um, over the years. And we draw from a large area. And uh, we did a lot of work with exercise and obviously with um, the full healthcare factors. But most people still come to chiropractors for back pain, neck pain joint pain. Um, and, uh, we did that, but we also found that, um, you know, without changing lifestyle, um, manipulation fixed the immediate problem, but didn't fix the, often the cause of the immediate problem. Um, so yeah, so I, I practiced for 30 years in a, in a very nice community, um, community actually that I was raised in. Um, still see a lot of my patients, their friends. And, um, it was, it was for me just a perfect profession. Um, but I also, you know, went to school at a time that you could put yourself through school. I worked full time and went to school full time Uh today would be, I would say an impossibility. Um, you know, the, the cost of, um, of school is, is too high and the wage variability is relatively low for, for somebody who's working, um, and going to school. Um, anyway, but I was very fortunate. I, I graduated at a good time and I graduated when, when, um, the so-called alternative healthcare movement was taken (laughs) off. Um, and, and that's just through luck of when I was born in 1970. Um, you know, suddenly, uh, Chiropractic was included in in a lot of different types of care, and it it, it was at that time and still is the, the largest alternative healing art um, science, um, at least in the states and and in Canada. So it's um, it was a great it, it was a great ride. I, I enjoyed it. And I still do stuff with with it. I hurt my hands, so I, I left practice earlier than I had planned. Right, um, but um, but I really enjoyed the practice and I enjoyed the people. And I enjoy, you know, the, the thing that's, that's so nice is being able to help people. And, you know, that's, I think, the, the key thing is to get a result where you see, oh, thank you. You helped me. And find those results relatively immediately, you know. That, yeah. That's
1: well, I wonder also, like, as you started talking and you're t- talking about your timeline of being, In the chiropractic profession, I always also started thinking about what what have you seen in terms of people's attitudes about quote unquote alternative medicine over the time in your career, and how you see that is playing out now.
0: Wow, you know that's probably the biggest change because I just got a uh, you know I my healthcare provider is Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, and I as part of the service they now um, through Medicare give me an exercise credit. I go to a gym. They pay for it. Um, they also give me um, every couple of months um, a whole list of, of vitamins, minerals, um, what we think of as alternative things as part of my health care. Um, they pay, Blue Cross and the other uh, insurance companies pay for alternative health care now, at least for chiropractic. And the acceptance, I think, is, is huge. I mean, people, at least most people that I talk to, are very interested in longevity, in health, in maximizing potential. And that's all part of typically what we think of as the alternative care movement. Um, and, you know, healthcare. care in medicine is is rarely what we think of in standard medicine preventative. Um, although I just got on a statin which is said to be preventative uh, after all these years. Um, I, I think the acceptance of the fact that even my my physician um uh who is you know same age as I am he's still in practice in his 70s and now is recommending a lot of nutrition um coenzyme Q10, some things like that for heart. And what we've seen is that even in in the last bastion of, of uh, standard medicine, there, there's really been a huge movement toward not just acceptance, but embracing, I think, the so-called alternative healthcare.
1: care. Um, Why do you I, think that is? What has been the, the shift that you see?
0: Well, I think the shift is that... Um, because of communication, I think people are seeing both the flaws in, um, in not maintaining health. Um, and the fact that there aren't good answers to people. It's sort of like I own a a home. If I don't paint my home, get a roof for my home periodically, um, you know, replace things that need replacing pretty soon the heat doesn't work and if the roof's got a hole in it you know I can hire people to do that but that's a very um disturbing way to deal with with my home and the home that I live in is this body and I think that I see more and more with um with the media um just a general acceptance I, I think it all came about I'm, I'm a lot older than you I think and, and um, yeah, I'm
1: just for I'm 42
0: yeah. okay and, and yeah I'm a lot older than you and, <laughs> um, but I remember the, the, the thing that opened all this up the thing that actually broke it I believe was when Nixon uh, went to China because at one time the US and China were you know enemies and he came back touting things like acupuncture and it's sort of at that. Hmm open people's eyes, um, to alternative care. Um, I think the other thing that's changed, which, which this, this is kind of, there was a a lawsuit by the, uh, American Chiropractic Association and the International Chiropractic Association back in 78, it was settled and it was about restraint of trade, uh, against chiropractors. And it came out that there was a lot of At that time, by the American Medical Association in the States, this came out in court, that there was a lot of, uh, there was a decision, a conscious decision, to stamp out what they saw as uh, competition to standard medical care. Mm. And the people that were in the suit were podiatrists, chiropractors, uh, at that time, there weren't acupuncturists in the in the states. I mean, licensed. And it opened up a licensing at the same time after that. Um, uh, under under Mr. Nixon, who's not my favorite president, but but nonetheless helped a lot with this, we got uh, chiropractic, and some of the alternative care was part of Medicare uh, payments. And once the door was opened to uh, to looking at, and doing some studies on it um suddenly everything broke loose with with the alternative medicine i think that the the culture has changed you know we went from a i want the answer and you've got it to maybe you don't have the answer and maybe there isn't a single answer and let's explore let's talk about this and that's when the studies started being done um what came out in that lawsuit interestingly is is that the ama had blocked any studies on the efficacy of alternative care too
1: oh so, wow
0: yeah they they went and stopped funding through government agencies and so on so so you know the the proof of, of the pudding is in the eating as they say and and I think that you know if chiropractic didn't work if acupuncture didn't work um, to some extent the marketplace just kind of uh, moves away from those things. And I think that's what's happening in healthcare is that, you know, things are working and, and, and people are talking about it. You know, there's a lot of social media and um, things are, are starting to, I think, continue to blossom. And, uh, you know, at now now many of the hospitals bring chiropractors. We were asked to, to uh, be uh, part of the alternative medicine uh, clinic at uh, the Henry Ford Hospital System here in the States. We, we turned it down, but um, that was a major thought shift because this is one of the big hospital chains in the metropolitan area uh, of Detroit. And um, to bring in alternative healing, acupuncture, chiropractic, uh, wellness care, and, and, and dietary considerations was huge. And I think as studies come out, we see a lot of stuff about, you know, not eating um, uh, as much meat. And in some studies, you know, certainly vegan diets are um, better in terms of cholesterol and, and many forms of health. Um, now, there's some debate whether you know, some people think kids need more protein and so on. We won't get into that. I, right. I think that the, the proof of that is, in, again, in the pudding. You know, when you look at, at kids' health who, uh, who, who follow different regimens and, and you study it, you see that there are, you know, those things weed themselves out, um, I think, over time. So I, that's where I think it comes from. I think that started in the, in the 70s and has just continued to grow because it works, Um, you know, alternative medicine works uh, in certain situations and you know, it's, it's the right wrench for the right bolt at the right time. (laughs) Right. You know, sometimes you need a different wrench. If you've got a different bolt.
1: Totally true. Totally. So it sounds like that, especially in what you were saying is that there was a resistance to alternative medicine as uh, kind of encroaching upon traditional medicine like, Hey, this is what's right. And we don't need this encroaching upon what is deemed the right type of medicine, things like that.
0: Yeah. Well, that was the AMA's, um, dominance. Um, and they went back, that goes back to the thirties. Um, um, and in the 1930s, um, you know, there was a lot of anti-quackery movement and, and, they mm. were, uh, against homeopathy, which, you know, I, I don't happen to have found much good result with homeopathy, but certainly um, it has worked well for some people, and they, the American Medical Association began to discredit naturopathy, homeopathy, chiropractic, podiatry, and so on down the line. Massage therapy was, you know, it was rare that people went to massage therapists. Um, back in the 50s and 60s. And all of those types of things have risen too. People are starting to look at the fact that, um, you know, we're responsible for our own health. And I think that's the big difference. We went from the doctor is responsible for my health to mm-hmm. maybe I'm responsible for my health.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a novel idea, right?
0: I yeah, think. yeah. It's and very you interesting. Work with that, right? I mean, yes.
1: Yeah, I've been a personal trainer for almost twenty years. Um, been a fitness executive, run fitness facilities, operator, um, and so uh, yeah, I've seen the shift from kind of your traditional exercise, fitness, nutrition uh, concepts to more alternative um, forms of uh, options for people. Like for instance, like several years ago at a club that I was running, we we introduced fascial stretch therapy into the club, mm-hmm. which wow. at the time was considered extremely, um, out there people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hesitancy to doing it, but it was kind of our alternative to massage as we were not going to get a massage license and have massage at this residential high end club we had. So we were like, well, this is a maybe better As People can feel more comforted in a the sense. They don't have to take a uh, disrobe uh, to do a service. Um, it's more of a, a choreographed, in a sense, uh, mani- manual manipulation of limbs and things. And it was a hit. It was a monstrous hit at our club. Yeah. And, and people started taking it seriously. They didn't look at it as kind of like, this is some weird um, alternative treatment that is just, you made it up or something, you know, type of thing. It was very, so I see people more receptive to different modalities and forms of health and wellness yeah
0: you know. yeah you know it's it's interesting because i actually just went to a rolfer and that's mm-hmm. uh, special work you know on a deep level and that was even when i was in school caught as you know voodoo even in <laughs> right um and and it's it's huge i mean it, it what what we are learning about the body is is tremendous and and good for you introducing that i mean that's that's um, it's neat to see, it's neat to see people moving in directions that you know haven't been explored traditionally. That's how we learn, you know. I mean, if it yeah. didn't work, that you you wouldn't be talking about it.
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: There is, was a I lot know. of
1: people who were hesitant to start it, and I think it's just, you know, whenever you step out to do something new, you're taking a risk, and people are very comfortable doing things that are the same and that mm-hmm. other people. Have validated it. And so that's what, you know, I also wonder, like with chiropractic work is like, what have, has there been a lot of changes in the mecha- actual mechanics of the job throughout your course of doing it and what you see now?
0: Yeah. Well, when I went to school, um, it was considered, chiropractic was considered manual by hand manipulation of the human spine. And that was actually the Michigan state law. Is defined as manipulation of the human spine by hand. Okay, and what has changed, of course, is that there, there are myriad modalities being used. That the law has changed um, as a result of that. That um, it it happens to now be about um, you know advice regarding the nutrition and the movement and manipulation of the human body. So it's changed a great deal. Um, And I think that the thought pattern in chiropractic has changed from, again, back from us. It's always been a holistic movement. Chiropractors have always from the very beginning um, of its founding um, worked with nutrition. They've worked with holism. Part of the, philosophy is that there's an innate intelligence in the body that tends to regulate the body. It tends to be a self-regulating system, as long as there's no major interferences in that regulation. And the interferences can be things like nerve interference, for which chiropractors manipulate, but it also can be things like, you know, poisonous uh, interferences or lack of exercise. Um, And all those things are now incorporated into the teachings of most of the chiropractic colleges. Um, and I think that um, the techniques of uh, 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 manipulation have improved and have allowed us to move into technological change. I mean, there's people there are people using cold lasers and um, ultrasound and things like that as well. So, people are doing a lot more studies on it. And as the studies come out, the directions sometimes slightly change. And some of those things have been discarded too. I mean, since I've been in practice, there've been a number of techniques that they have found better ways to, to uh, get the job done. And um, if you can use a, uh, a device to get a better result quicker, that might be an alternative. For example, um, one of the things that we used is with disc, with, with uh, disc herniation, um, distraction techniques, um, what you might think of as traction, um, turn out to be way better than manipulation for certain, for really hot and, and inflamed discs. And, um, you know, now with MRIs and stuff, we can actually, study this stuff and see what in the heck we're doing. Um, so I think things change. And as funding changes and people are starting to study stuff and then they're trying to see, well, how, how does this work anyway? Um, the chiropractic profession has changed. And I think they still hold to the roots um, that, you know, the, the, the nervous system, the central nervous system is the primary governing system of the body. I mean, that's been known for 100 years. Um, and, and how do you then get that best coordination out of the body through the central nervous system? And that's what chiropractors work with. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Um, as you know, you know, when, when you're working with people, um, people who are depressed, for example, no matter what's going on in their central nervous system, that depression can be overriding mm-hmm. the, um, the ability of people to perform. So yes. what do you do then? Do you, you know, now regroup and say, hey, maybe this person needs something additional? Yeah, and that's what's changed. And I think the other thing that's changed is chiropractors refer a lot more out to alternative practitioners. For example, we didn't have an acupuncturist in our office, so we referred out to acupuncturists. But also chiropractors, um, and I think the medical profession in general, get along a lot better, and they refer to each other. I had a lot of referrals from the uh, guy who was the head of neurosurgery at University of Michigan, because mm-hmm. what he recognized is that there were some just plain mechanical problems that he couldn't fix, and he had seen chiropractors and osteopaths fixed them. So he was wise enough to send me his mechanical cases. And you can bet that when I had somebody who needed neurosurgery, um, he was the head of the right the, the department. So so I would send him people. And I think what happens is that the question is how do you best care for patients? And you know, that's always been the game. I mean you don't guess right a hundred percent of the time but but that's yeah. the goal. And, and, you know, my uh, plot of ground that I worked in um, was defined as musculoskeletal primarily. So that's where I spent most of my time. Um, but a lot of it in, in chiropractic is, you know, what what's changed is also in medicine. We used to have general practitioners who then referred out. And that's pretty much a thing of the past in general medicine. So what we see as chiropractors or actually, a lot of things that are primary care doctor seats because people in this area don't have primary care doctors. They have a group of specialists and they go to urgent care. Yes. Referred someone. And that's not good healthcare practice, in my No,
1: opinion. I agree. Same thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we had shared, um, I had talked to you a little bit earlier, but my son um, is imprisoned and, um, my physician knew me well enough to know that that was affecting my health. And he um, made sure that I got to see different professionals. In other words, he, ins- he insisted on it. But I th- also had a relationship with him. He was one of my patients. I was one of his for 30, 40 years now. Um, so he has the ability, as the old general practitioners had, um, to refer people out, and I had the same relationship with a lot of my patients, and that's what else has changed. I think, you know, some of us alternative medicine people have turned into the general practitioners. <laughs> there, there aren't any out there in medicine. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's a thing of the past, and that was actually one of the things that when uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton tried to reform healthcare and establish a universal health care system. Um, they had uh, recommended that we go to a lot more general practitioners. And uh, they saw that as the salvation of, of health care. And I, I happen to agree with them. Um, that, going back historically, is where where why Bill Clinton balanced the budget. Um, you may remember that you know he yeah. was the last person. Actually, have a budget split. Well, The reason he did that is he knew healthcare. If we instituted a uh, universal healthcare, it would initially be a hit on the budget. Right. So he balanced the budget to 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 allow us to move ahead. And of course, it never happened. But but that was his intent.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. No, I remember the conversation you were telling me um, about. We had a for the listeners. We've had a really uh, awesome conversation. Uh, off air. And it was a big reason why I wanted to have uh, Jim on just because besides what we're talking about and health and chiropractic work and exercise, uh, there is in pivoting, there is another side to you. I'm sure many sides. We were starting to talk about prison and prison reform and programs within prison. And I would love for you to talk about your work in that area as another aspect of your life.
0: Yeah, I, um, I got involved because my son was involved, and he was at the age of 15 charged as an adult uh, for a crime. And that was something that I didn't believe was possible. You know, mm-hmm. I thought if you were 15 year old, years old, you were a juvenile, which you are legally. But under the law, at least in Michigan and in, in many other states, um, the nature of your crime. Puts you into the adult category. Um, My my argument has always been, you know, you're not any older because you committed a crime. You're you're the same age, Um, and uh, to try somebody and and help them as a juvenile, um, I think is a better way to go. So that's what started me. And Michigan, um, Michigan had at that time. I think it was the second largest number of juveniles sentenced to life without parole uh, in the world. Wow. As compared to countries, the United States was the only country that didn't sign the world health organization. Um, uh, treaty on rights for children. Um, because the treaty, the, the United nations felt in Other countries feel that it's improper to lock a juvenile up for life with no chance of parole because they recognize that kids change. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that you let kids out after a certain age. It means that you periodically reevaluate people. And so I got involved in that movement. The Supreme Court eventually ruled on that, but we were trying to get some legislative action to repeal that rule. Um, I actually entered the whole fray um, uh, with the prison creative arts project at the University of Michigan. The University of Michigan has the largest um, art, prison art show in the world. It's held every uh, March at, in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. Well, in Michigan, we had at that time some 30 prisons when I got involved, we have fewer prisons. Uh, we have fewer prisoners. Um, and I'd love to say that means, sounds good, except that what it means is that we've taken and closed half the prisons, whereas we have three quarters the number of prisoners. So what we've done is overcrowd the prisons. Mm. One of the things that um, we do in, in uh, criminal cases is we warehouse people without programming on the whole without programming or with minimal programming. And a lot of that has to do with the same reason that children are charged as adults. It costs more to house a child, when they're defined as a child. Um, And it's a very complex uh, issue, but but I walked away from the negativity and decided, well, what can we do to help people universally who are imprisoned to make their lives better. And knowing that most prisoners get out of prison at some point, how can we help them grow as human beings toward who they are? And um, art is, is an alternative language <laughs> to me. Definitely. Um, and um, art being, of course, the visual arts, but also uh, music, uh, poetry, Um, we do at the University of Michigan, a writing anthology as well of creative writing for prisoners. And, um, what's remarkable is how many Michigan prisoners are virtually illiterate, but can do music, can do art, can do other things. And, um, It allows them expression and it allows them a venue to talk about who they are. Um, It's hard for me to look at a piece of art and not have some feeling, emotion about it. And I think the other thing about art is it's, it's not so right and wrong. Um, You know, art to me is about how is it that you chose those colors, this medium, what are you trying to say here? Where did you start the piece? How did the piece evolve? So it creates a wonderful conversation of, yeah. about who a person is. And sometimes that leads to the talk about what they've done and why they're there and how they've changed. Um, sometimes it doesn't, but frequently that's where the conversation leads. Because the art is, has turned out to be a healing mechanism in some cases. That's not how we present it, but that's the result. So it's pretty cool. Um, it's pretty cool to talk to artists. It's pretty cool to see art. It's pretty cool to be involved in uh, getting to know different um, people, men and women who are incarcerated. And uh, you know, I have to say that my opinion on that has changed tremendously since I've gotten to know people. And I think that's you know, the nature of everything, right? That's the nature. And of time. how has
1: it changed in general?
0: Well I was pretty much a you know you did the crime you do the time and I, I don't know that I totally disagree with that um, but what's changed is is the realization that um, criminality is it's not usually just an event I mean it, it, people are imprisoned for an event, but there's a whole bunch of factors that go into why somebody shot somebody or why somebody robbed the mm-hmm. liquor store and those are the events that you know as we so as we see the bodies in the river you know and we we count them maybe it pays at some point to go up river and find out who's throwing the bodies and you know what what's happening here that people are falling into a river and drowning um, and what we see disproportionately is of course we talk about people of color um, being incarcerated. But if you even bleed out color and some of the other things out of the statistics, what we really see is socioeconomics. Um, yeah. And you see that that um, people of color are frequently, um, more frequently, you know, in a different pay scale, you know, that's been established. Um, so you see a lot of just stuff that, you um, isn't right. And you see just tremendous, tremendous, um, social problems, uh, education, opportunity for education, you know, just right down the line. And, um, you know, I think that, that a lot of these things are, um, you know, we need to look at, I mean, as a society, again, what's the function of, of government? I mean, certainly the people who are in prison typically, um, Many of them should not be on the street, but many of them could be on the street performing functions that are right. you know, useful and healing better. And the question is, you know, is there a, a will to do that? And I think a lot of that goes back to there isn't the will to change that. Um, there is a cost, of course, but, but if you look at the total societal cost, I'm not sure that it's any greater to, to rehabilitate people. I think it's less societally, we bear less of a burden in rehabilitation, Um, but that's not how legislatures look at it. They look at short-term cost evaluation. And uh, so that's why I got involved. I like to look at all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And do you think that, uh, you know, you said that your views have changed on it? And I think it can also be in many things in life. You know, you kind of look at things at a 30,000 square foot view until that plane lands on you. Mm-hmm. and and then you start recognizing if one of your family members is incarcerated or take any subject that can be controversial or difficult that lens becomes much different when it affects you personally versus having a, an idea or a very definitive very black and white judgment on something that you actually have never been exposed to at all in your life you know
0: exactly no i i agree I mean, one investigates something when it's in when when something's in my face, I want to do something about it yes. in my face. Um and and um until that presents itself, um we, we don't have time for everything. And um one of the things that um happens is what do you do with people who clearly are unable to conform to the rules and uh, where my son is in the prison he is, there's a lot of people who are autistic, who are mentally ill. The majority of people who are incarcerated are mentally ill, and we don't have mental health facilities any longer in this state to put them. So what do you do with somebody who's not necessarily, eventually they, they, they run afoul of the law. know they can't conform to the rules yeah they they are obnoxious they get drunk on the street they're using drugs whatever those things might be and what do you do with those people well if they commit things often enough they get you know a record and once they have a record the punishment typically is more harsh than somebody who doesn't have a record um so you know that's how we think to solve it um it's a, it's a very poor solution, and it's one that, you know, over and over again is talked about. But, again, there isn't the will. And it's not a warm, fuzzy um, problem. You know, people right. with, with – uh, you see children hungry, and you can it, – it tears at our heartstrings. And, and we need to do something about that. But when you see somebody who's committed a crime, gets incarcerated, most of us think, well, they committed a crime. And which is true, And there have to be consequences for crimes. but but, you know, how is it that this is what they did? how How did that come about? Um, it's not just a what came about, but but how did that come about? And how do we avoid that coming about in the future? You know? um, and And that's where prisons and and uh, I think need to be somewhat reimagined there's a a movement to do away with prisons. I don't think currently that's a great idea, but uh, uh, you know, and just as there's been a lot of talk about doing away with police forces, I think we need things, but we need, um, we need a lot more transparency and a lot more um, people involved from the outside. Um, I think once, once, once people come into a prison, for example, as a volunteer, Everybody I've ever talked to, it changed their view. On it has that. to. <laughs> oh, tremendously. It has I, I've to. Never to at all. It's, it's because what you see is people. <laughs> you know, you see people who are just yeah. like me and you. Um, but they're in prison, and some of them for life. And some of the best people I've ever met, um, really, are guys who are lifers, um, who came to the conclusion that this is my life. And I need to do something and what's important. And they had the, the time and, you know, the wherewithal to think about that. And they, they came to the conclusion that what life is about is helping other people. And even from in there, that's what they're doing. I mean, you know, that's an incredible, and I think that's my realization too, is that, you know, what are we here for? You know, we're here to, you know, I mean, part of what I'm here for is to help other people. And, uh, I was lucky enough to have a profession I could do it in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you're very spot on with this. And it's definitely something I like to talk about on the podcast, you know, about incarceration, mass incarceration, police reform, among a variety of things. And one of the things I'm really um, proud about doing is in August, um, we're going to, it's going to be, I think, a very hard-hitting series. It's a week related to incarceration. And I'm actually going to have four death row inmates calling in from death row to discuss wow. a book that they wrote with an international journalist called Crimson Letters, um, Voices from Death Row. And these gentlemen discuss their lives and growing up and the decisions that they made. And, um, you know, we have to have a podcast based off of when they have lockdown and different situations and calling from. You know different places in their facility. And uh, and I'm doing it primarily because one, it, it interests me to learn about the psyche of a person in that mindset, but also to present that to the world, like these are people, I'm not saying that they're innocent or guilty. And listen, the system has already done that. They have already deemed that this is what mm-hmm. they've done. And this is what they've been judged for. And this is where they're going to be. It's just for me to say that Here's an opportunity to, to, to be exposed to something, you know, and then make up your own mind about it. It does. Are they what you think they are? Or uh-huh. or could it be different if you allow yourself to listen to it? Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. I think that um, there's a couple of things I will mention for your, your listeners. There's there's a couple of sites. One is called uh, for wonderful, wonderful uh, prison writing. One of them is called Minutes Before Six. It's uh, minutes before six and it's uh, you can look that up and find it. And the other is prisonwriters.com. My son has written for both of them. My son's actually a very good writer. Mm -hmm. And um, one of them, uh, he talks about uh, what's it like to be raised in prison from age 15 to adulthood. What is that like? Um, It's a very different thing than if you're raised in a home and uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of great stuff out there there are some other sites too those are the two that i'm most familiar with mm-hmm. and i i applaud you for doing what you're doing um Thank you know, there's you. a wonderful movie about that sister helen prajan did uh did you know was was instrumental in um uh Writing about a death row inmate, and um, she's been on the forefront of the movement to do away with the death penalty. Um, I have mixed feelings about that, but I do know that um, there have been an awful lot of people executed who weren't guilty of the crime that they were executed for. Right, um, and and I think you know that's uh, that's something we have to look at. Um, and I applaud you for doing what you're doing because. Wow, what a! I'll, I'll be listening to that.
1: You got to listen to it, Jim. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, a really? Tessie Castillo, is the, the international journalist, very young woman who, um, done a lot of work on police reform and writing books. And she would visit the prisoners, um, and death and death row doing basically, you know, similar thing like art kind of, um, writing courses and things of that nature. And you know, like you said, anybody who goes in, they, it changes them visiting Mm -hmm. and learning about these people and you know she was like you know i want to do something different and and write a book with these gentlemen and it you know i'm reading the book right now actually and it's just it's it it gets you from the moment that first line comes in you're like wow this is this is going to be a good book and and she actively goes out searching podcasts to have conversations with her and her co-authors who are uh, on death row to have conversations. And, you know, I recognize that it's controversial and that there may be many people who are not going to agree with me doing it. But I also think that you can't be afraid to enter these layers sometimes. And just, it's not that I'm endorsing, I'm just saying, hey, here's a section of society that you may have just thrown away and care to ignore. But, you know, it's good to be knowledgeable about a variety of things in life, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that, That you know, knowledge is is really, you know, where we go. I mean, where we started out with is originally in in you know the the AMA didn't want chiropractors even to have studies done to see whether they're effective or not. The real issue is let's study this and see what does this really look like. And you know, podcast is a wonderful way to get you know the door open. Um, You can bring in a lot of people who you know, we don't normally get a chance to hear, or you know, hear from. And certainly, you know, getting just the logistics of what you're doing is, is because as you said, you know, there's count and and meals, lockdowns. And, you know, I mean, if, if, if you pull this off with four different people (laughs) and it all goes smoothly, I I'm going to be amazed, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I
1: am too. I mean, just (laughs) planning it has been a big thing. You know, and Tessie, she's the one, you know, communicating with them, getting all the time set. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have George at this time, Lyle at this time. And here's my availability. You know, I'm doing the podcast during a time I would never broadcast myself and Mm -hmm. trying to be as flexible as possible so that it works for all parties involved for that. And um, so we'll see. But I think it'll be a pivotal, pivotal moment in my podcasting lifespan because I'll try, I've done something riskier that I think most people are, would not touch actually. Yeah. You
0: know? yeah I think it, what you're doing is something that just even from a logistics standpoint is, is risky. I mean, just, yeah. just, just getting all those people coordinated. Uh, you know, I, I like to say that the one thing about going into the prisons is, you know, the, the one thing you can't do with those situations, you can't complain to anybody. Because the only no. thing you can do with a complaint is make it worse, <laughs> right <laughs> so so it's taught me a lot, and uh, it'll be interesting to, to hear that podcast I, I i'm I'm looking forward to it and yeah, a-
1: I, I'll let you know for sure it's gonna be a four part series and then actually five because I'm gonna do a podcast just with Tessie by herself mm-hmm. and uh really just dive into you know, the knowledge behind it. Again, I, I'll make it clear. It's it's not that I'm going, hey, feel bad for these guys. And it's not about that. Like, I don't, what happened has happened. You know, the system has made judgments. I'm not here to refute or be for them. It's just, here's a story they did. It's kind of remarkable. And we're going to talk about that. And if during that time they want to talk about their situation, what's happening, they can talk about it. But it doesn't mean that, um, that we can't have these conversations. Why can't I have this conversation, you know?
0: You know, I, I agree. I think that the important thing is, is when we engage in conversation, we learn a lot. We, we learn a lot about ourselves. We learn a lot about society. We learn a lot about people. I mean, some of the situations that I've seen, you know, in prison, you ask yourself the question, what would I do under these circumstances? And suddenly what they did given their situation doesn't seem so peculiar. Mm. In other words, if if I didn't have the same upbringing I had and the resources, my options wouldn't look the same. Of and course. The fact that you're you're doing podcasts. You're opening up those options. What do these things look like? So that if I ever encounter it, I have more choices about how I might react instead of fewer. You know. Um, Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Um, I mean, I, it's a real privilege.
1: Yeah, I I think definitely, and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. I I don't mind tackling um maybe more controversial ideas and and things. I just think it's important. Like we we've kind of had this mentality sometimes in our country is that we we pick teams, we pick sides, and we say, "Yep, my way is the right way," and um, I'm not even going to entertain this other idea. I just mm-hmm. think it's wrong. I think it's completely wrong, and I think. You, you learn so much more about living and being alive by being exposed to a variety of ideas and questions and um, topics. And, you know, and you're know you gonna make your own opinion on it and you're going to feel like this, I, well, I'm not into this, I'm into that, but at least allow yourself to hear it on some mm-hmm. level. You know? mm-hmm.
0: No, I agree. I, I think that the, 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 the key is once we engage in conversation, um, doors open, it, it stimulates other thought. And who knows what comes from it? I mean, do we always change people's minds? Of course not. And is that right. the object? Probably not. Um, but to enlighten um, is is a powerful thing. And you know, just talking with you, I mean, I've learned things, and and I'm excited about your those podcasts. And uh, yeah. I'm actually yeah. excited about the book too. <laughs> it's very <laughs> good.
1: It. Yeah, yeah, I think especially for you know your involvement and. In, um... That program in prison and and with your son, I think it'll probably resonate with you quite a bit. um, For someone who's been, you know, in and around that environment, knows, you know, has a personal connection to it, it would, I would imagine, be very. It would resonate with you, you know. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. but. You know, so far, I've talked to a lot of people about this episodes. These episodes come up in August, and it's been a very positive reaction. Everybody I've told has said, I have to listen to that one. That is like, I have to listen to those episodes. Because mm-hmm. I think they're curious. They're curious of like, I can't believe this guy's going to go on the inside of this whole situation. And it's not an expose to expose these guys. No, it's, it's, a, it's just a fact-finding mission, knowledge base, like, why did you want to do this book with these gentlemen? What was their life like? It's just questions, you know, and it's not judgment. It's just, hey, guys, I, I want to learn. You know, I'm not going to be like, get on there with them, be like, oh, how's your day going? And stuff, you know, <laughs> be like, I'm not going to do that and be like, hey, it's nice to meet you. I'd love to hear about your story. You know, It's a different way of going about it. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you've got a great uh, ability to interview and, and talk with people.
1: Thank you. And
0: thank you for inviting me. It's
1: great. Yeah, Jim, thank you so much for your time. And I knew this would be good after talking to you uh, off air. So thank you for your time today. I'm glad you passed your stress tests. Way to yeah. go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to celebrate with a chocolate sundae or something.
1: There yeah. you go. <laughs> Enjoy it. Yeah,
0: thanks. Okay.
1: All Have right, a... Jim, thanks for your time. Yeah.
0: Thank you. you. got it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switched to progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow. Almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates.